Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast, where we deep dive into the passion projects of the best athletes, entrepreneurs, and executives every week. On today's show, I sit down with Dennis Jarvis, the CEO of Bitcoin.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. Hey, Dennis, how's it going? Hey, Nick. Great to meet you. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. I guess to start, if you want to give a quick uh, a quick intro to the audience, uh, background, you know, current role, whatever you want to start with, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, definitely. So uh, my name is Dennis, and uh, I'm the CEO of Bitcoin.com. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin.com is um, a pretty popular destination. I think most of your listeners uh, will be familiar with it uh, on the web uh, for learning all about cryptocurrency. And uh, we provide accessibility and tools and uh, a lot of great, uh, you know, software for, you know, people to take part in like this new and exciting uh, world of crypto. I'm a uh, Long time, you know, tech industry professional. Uh, so I've been in this space for maybe uh, 25 years now. I started off in, in Silicon Valley, uh, working for Apple uh, for a long time, uh, and then I moved out to Asia and I worked for a variety of companies there, including a early blockchain uh, startup uh, in Japan before I joined Bitcoin.com. So I have a little bit of uh, you know exposure to the tech space uh, and a little bit of exposure to to crypto. And I've been at Bitcoin.com for a few years now, um, helping uh, the amazing team there, um, you know, build a, a lot of great products uh, for, you know, everyday people to, uh, you know, access the world of crypto. Awesome. So when you were, uh, before your career, were you always, were you always into tech? Were you always, uh, was that, you always kind of knew that was the, that was the career, that was the path you were going to follow? Yeah. Yeah, it was, um I started with the Apple IIe, you know, way back uh, early in the day, uh, and my parents bought me a, an Apple IIe, and that's where I learned to program in BASIC. And so I followed like this really, I think some people think of it like this n- typical nerd route, you know, of getting into you know, tech and computer science. But uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for the, you know, the opportunity in my childhood to like uh, have that amazing machine. Um, and that led me down this path that uh, seemed to never end, you know, since the time I was around nine or 10 years old uh, until today. It uh, led me through uh, you know, university uh, where I studied uh, information technology uh, first and then economics second. Um, and then you know, into, uh, I, I was born uh, originally in the, the Detroit area uh, in Michigan. And um, I felt the calling to, to go out west as many young men did uh, in the 90s and uh, moved out to Silicon Valley and uh, you know, pursued my career from there. So, do you remember like what what it was? I mean, I'm always kind of fascinated looking back, right, at, at the uh, the things that spark a kid's interest. And what was it about about that Apple IIe? Because there's plenty of people that had you know a computer in the house and just like, eh, I don't get it. You know, what what was it that just kind of captured your imagination? Yeah, I don't know if you know this game, or you probably remember this um, text-based adventure game called Zork. Um, it was uh, you know very simple, like. Um, 
the interface was just a command line and uh, you would receive like descriptions of like the, the room that you were in or the place that you were in. And like there were actions that you could take. Like if you were in a cave, you could go further into the cave or you could exit the cave or you could fight the guru. Uh, and um, I was just fascinated by this, um, this early uh, fantasy adventure game. And uh, it inspired me to like learn basic uh, so that I could start to program my own simple uh, text games, which I, I absolutely love doing uh, as a young kid. Um, and then how did you shift from, um, you know, from, from, oh, this is exciting for gaming to this is now what I want to pursue in college. And this is kind of what was the next, uh, the next phase after gaming that, that caught your, caught your passion? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, you know, I also like uh, uh, was inspired by sci-fi, and um, one of the early you know novels I read was um, *Neuromancer* uh, by William Gibson, which is you know if, if your listeners don't know, he's the guy who coined the the term cyberpunk or cyberspace, I should say. Sorry, and um, it was uh, it was fascinating to me. And then later read *Snow Crash* uh, by Neil Stevenson, and um, I uh, I think always in the back of my mind I had this idea of. Um, you know, an online connected, you know, world, you know, where people were, you know, part of like communities that weren't just physical in nature. And, um, it's something that's like second nature to all of us now, as we live basically most of our lives, uh, in, um, you know, online. Uh, but, um, back then it, it kind of inspired me to, uh, to pursue like, um, first an education, uh, in the space. And then, um, you know, you know, early in my career, I think the focus, uh, was, you know, getting a job and, and making some money. But then once I, I realized that like, uh, this is something that I was good at and that I, I could be successful at, uh, then really going at that, you know, full force, you know, as I moved down to, uh, to the, uh, Bay area, to the South Bay, uh, and started working at Apple and, uh, just became immersed in that, uh, in that career early on, just, you know, I, there was, nothing I love more than, than being at work and, and working on the products and, and, uh, and services that, uh, you know, were, yeah. I think now understood to be like kind of foundational to like, uh, you know, what we are right now. I got to work on the iPhone team, uh, early on. So it was fantastic. What do you think the biggest lessons were from, from your time at Apple and seeing, you know, whether it's the iPhone or, or whatever it is, things that were, you know, relatively new concepts and then just became something we, you know, most of us can't live without what were your takeaways and, and inspirations? Well, I think one of the biggest takeaway for me uh, from my experience at Apple was that uh, that these things are not um, second nature or not to be taken for granted, right? I think that uh, at the time, uh, probably certainly to this uh, day today, uh, Apple was, you know, one of the most well-managed, you know, companies uh, in the world, right? And it was just they weren't they weren't batting a hundred, right? There was some, you know, a, a product flop here and there, but for the most part. Uh, you know, they were really nailing it, like with every product introduction from the iPod or from the first Bondi Blue iMac, you know, to the iPod, uh, to the iPhone and beyond. And then I spent a long time there and it was, you know, the formative years of my early career. And I didn't quite realize at the time, you know, that that's not the way, you know, that the rest of, uh, you know, the corporate world, you know, worked or the rest, the way the rest of tech worked, <laughs> you know, not everything like knocks out of the park. And, uh, you know, actually innovations, uh, really transformative innovations are, are few and far between. And, um, you know, that assembling a, a great team and, uh, having a well-managed, well-run company is actually a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, and so, uh, I look back on those days, you know, and how like blissfully naive I was, you know, working at Apple and like, you know, being a part of all of this. And then, you know, uh, after I left, you know, then realizing, you know, all of these challenges uh, to uh, to really creating something substantial uh, in, in tech. 
or in crypto for that matter. So, and how would you like? What advice would you give people? I mean, there's so many, um, you know, there's so many companies that that sound exciting, right? You 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 do some research, you go to the interview, you see the vision, and you're like, this is incredible. It's not until you get in there that you see the different management styles and the different, you know, you know how they operate. And I, and I feel like there was, you know, obviously we've gone from back in the day, people working at, you know, I want to find a company and I want to work there forever. And then to now people, you know, moving around. But I, but I always feel like it's almost like, um, I mean, it's a very extreme example, right? But there's people that are born into certain situations and that's much harder. You're born into extreme poverty or, or war, right? It's like a much less, much lower chance that you're going to experience things and you have a much more of an uphill climb uh, versus someone who's born into a, a stable situation. And a little bit of that is like that first job. You know, that first job really dictates to a lot of people kind of like how you believe the corporate world is and, and what you believe the possibilities are, how you how you believe people should manage. You don't really realize it at the time, right? But, but most people will always look back to that first experience over second, third, fourth. So what, what advice would you give to... I guess young people entering the workforce as far as one, you know, how to how to make sure they put themselves um, in the best position without just saying, you know, without them just going to the established companies because they will, you know, and and two, what do you do when you're working somewhere and you start to question, start to question things? You know, how do you know? How do you how do you how can you learn more about different management styles, different corporate cultures without constantly just jumping ship? Yeah, that's that's a great two great questions. I think the the first part, you know, Apple is like uh, the what I consider to be like the start of uh, my career, but it's by no means like my first job, right? I had a lot of um, I guess part time jobs in college, and uh, you know everything from working in the computer lab to delivering you know sub sandwiches, uh, and then after university, uh, I did work in IT uh, briefly uh, in the auto industry. And so I started to get a little bit of a feel for what I think a lot of um, different jobs, you know, entail, like, you know, from a university or academic perspective or, you know, from like a maybe at that time mainstream, you know, corporate America perspective. And uh, and I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't like about it. I just knew that, like, you know, I wasn't fitting in, that this wasn't for me. And uh, I felt that uh, sense of like um, plugging in uh, for the first time. Uh, to something meaningful, uh, you know, when I started working at Apple. That's why I kind of describe it as the start of my career, even though I guess in some respects, you know, it was before then. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important thing to like um, be on the lookout for. Uh, you know, you can try a lot of different things. And then when you finally, uh, when you finally get that feeling of like real enjoyment and like, uh, you know, where the day flies by and like, you don't even notice that you're, you're working or work, uh, isn't like a, a word that you use to describe what you do, then, um, you got to hold on to that, right. Especially earlier in your career, at least for a little while to, to kind of really think about like, um, what it is that, that makes that so special to you. And, uh, I mentioned like, you know, Apple having like a lot of great innovations and a lot of, um, you know, uh, very, you know, talented people as part of the, the team there. But, um, the one thing that is not so hard to find, at least I don't think so, is this sense of like a, a mission, like in uh, the company that you work for. And that was certainly prevalent, uh, at Apple. And we were out to, you know, change the world and make it, uh, accessible, you know, through computing devices for all kinds of, uh, you know, people from like artists and entertainers to, you know, scientists and, you know, computer programmers and, you know, what have you. And, um, 
that sense of mission uh, is something that you can find more easily uh, uh, throughout your career. Like, I think it takes, um, you know, a little bit of effort. You have to get out there and, and meet people and, uh, and, and participate in like a broader like community or social uh, environment um, around uh, work. Um, but this is something that I found that like I get the most meaning from what I do uh, because of um, I believe in the mission uh, of the organization where I'm at. And I believe in the mission of like Bitcoin.com right now uh, very much. Uh, for example, uh, that we're here to like you know make the this alternative financial system of cryptocurrency accessible to to everybody. Uh, so I think that that is um, you know something to you know to be aware of like um, and look for uh, early in your career. No, no, that's a great point. Yeah, I think it's the why, right? Like, why am I doing this, and why are they doing this? Um, yeah, if you can answer that question, like you're in a good spot. <laughs> yeah. I think the challenge is there's so many people that can't answer that question, but they are kind of paralyzed by what 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 to do next. Now, you did you end up moving to Japan through Apple, or did you leave uh, Apple for another opportunity in, in Japan? Yeah, I, I did move to um, Japan through Apple, and I found that like uh, you know Japan is an amazing place to to live. I live there today uh, still. Uh, it's been. 12, 13 years now. Huh. So you moved, you moved there and you never left or you came back? I never left it. Wow. Yeah. That's I awesome. mean, I just travel, but I've lived there, you know, continuously since then. Nice. The, um, and what was that? What was that? Was that a tough decision to move, to move there initially or? Yeah, it was, um, it was a difficult decision. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think that, uh, there was a lot of factors, uh, to consider, uh, you know, my family, um, and, you know, my career and, um, this feeling of like, uh, I've always had of not really, you know, I, at that time, you know, having found myself yet, uh, and, uh, really like, um, gotten into that, uh, you know, comfort zone of like, uh, I'm in the right place at the right time. And, you know, this is, you know, right for me. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of things to consider. Yeah. It was difficult. And I, I took a long time thinking about it too. So when you, when you moved, did you intend for this to be permanent or did you just think I'm going to go over there for a little bit and then I'll be back? Yeah, I didn't think it was going to be permanent. I thought it was like the next step in my journey, you know, to 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 learn and grow as a person. But uh, you know, it turned out that you know I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah. And you said you uh, joined a blockchain startup, or at least were introduced to the blockchain over there. How? What was that? Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, I um, I was exposed to Bitcoin uh, early, uh, not. 2009, but probably in like uh, 2011 uh, timeframe, uh, where I bought my first Bitcoin. Uh, I probably sold it uh, not too long thereafter. Um, and I bought it and sold it on Mt. Gox, uh, which you may know is like, you know, this infamous <laughs> exchange that, or first exchange that got hacked and, you know, went into like, um, you know, bankruptcy and litigation, you know, for years and years and years afterwards. And I bought yeah. a little bit of it there and I, I sold it on, uh, and I was fascinated, um, you know, reading, uh, the Bitcoin talk, uh, you know, forums. Um, and, uh, I was working in tech at a not so well managed, uh, company, which I won't, you know, <laughs> name, but, yeah. uh, you know, spending all of my like uh, hobby time, you know, looking into, um, Bitcoin and, um, what was, uh, I guess the nascent, you know, world of, uh, crypto and, uh, then uh, I left to join a startup called uh, Orb, um, which was a, a Japanese uh, company, uh, very small, uh, Series A funded company, um, ultimately. And uh, yeah, struggled with, um, you know, 
finding the right product, um, you know, and, uh, and getting that out into the market. And also probably some cultural challenges there too, working cross-culturally from, you know, where I come from, like from the Silicon Valley, you know, Western mindset um, with a different mindset, you know, you know in Japan um, oh. and everything that that entails. And then I was there for four years uh, and I uh, had the opportunity to meet um, some people from uh, Bitcoin.com. And uh, in 2018, uh, I decided, you know, this is maybe a better team fit uh, for me, and I joined Bitcoin.com. As, what do you, as, far, as far as the different mindsets, what do you, what do you, what are the most valuable, or what, what, have you, what do you think the most, um, the best lessons are from more of that Japanese mindset that you, in your experience, that that the Western, you know, approach could could take some lessons from. Yeah, so there's like a, definitely a big emphasis on um, building consensus uh, around ideas, you know, in Japanese uh, management, and uh, that has a lot of uh, value, I think. Um, and you want, I think, like especially when coupled with like a real sense of ownership and uh, um, clear decision making, right? Like when um, everyone knows like why they're there, uh, the role that they play, then there's a lot of benefit from you know consensus seeking and like you know building relationships and and testing ideas uh, both formally in the office and informally after work, this kind of thing. So, yeah. I think that's uh, you know. One thing that I took away from that experience that, you know, has helped uh, a lot too. There wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really a consensus builder before then. Uh, and I could probably be a little bit hard-headed and, and bullish, you know, when it comes to driving home the, the point I want to make or, or doing the project that I want to do. And uh, I've grown a lot since then as a result, you know, of uh, being exposed to that. So It sounds like I need to spend some time in Japan. Um, <laughs> for sure. That's definitely, a, that's definitely something I could work on. So... You're still dabbling in Bitcoin, you know, throughout this process. You've gone through, you know, you've you've seen at least, you know, the risk and, and what can go wrong uh, with the Mt. Gox experience. So at this point, early on, what's what's still drawing you to it, and and what what let you believe that you know security um, and stability would be better in the future and and that there would be more and more demand for this. Yeah, well, I have this unwavering belief that, like, uh, with adoption, you know, uh, stability will come, right? That uh, it's just a matter of uh, creating the enough network effect, you know, for uh, Bitcoin or crypto in general so that we have enough people uh, in this space uh, to kind of smooth out, like, these really uh, sharp highs uh, and lows, you know, from a volatility standpoint. But, I mean... The reason that like uh, Bitcoin even exists is the reason that I'm you know still interested in it, and that's that you know the traditional financial system in this world is completely it's completely broken uh, from an economic perspective. You know, well before the 2008 financial crisis, but it, I think it really came to a head there and, and spurred the innovation that was Bitcoin by uh, Satoshi. You know, we seem to be caught in this endless cycle of you know printing more money. Uh, you know causing, you know, inflation or which is effectively inflation, uh, rising prices, uh, a bubble uh, uh, and bust uh, cycle that happens over and over again. And it's been happening, like, I think, you know, over and over again for like more than 50 years, but like it's getting worse and worse. So like an ever worsening boom bust cycle uh, in the economy that, you know, it, it wrecks everybody. Like, uh, except for like a uh, very few people who are like financial uh, industry insiders uh, it, it pretty much wrecks everybody. It wrecks uh, retirement investments. Uh, it, re it wrecks education investments. Uh, it causes prices to go up, with which you know is effectively a tax on everybody. And 
until Bitcoin, there's no way to opt out of this like vicious cycle of uh, you know boom bust. Um, you're basically you know stuck with it. And if you're in the U.S. and you live in a dollar-denominated life, uh, you know it's bad enough. But like if you're in another country, and uh, you know you're at the tail end of the whip. Uh, you know, for this kind of thing. And it can be, you know, devastating, you know, uh, to um, a lot of people, a lot of economies uh, economically. Bitcoin and crypto, uh, now crypto, the wider, you know, crypto ecosystem is an alternative to this, like, uh, financial system that uh, gives people, like, um, a choice, you know, to participate uh, in uh, a money, a monetary system that where they can spend, um, you know, uh, invest and, um, you know, pursue their own economic freedom in a way that's completely... Independent uh, of the traditional, uh, you know, dollar-denominated uh, economy, and so there's still a lot of progress to be made, um, a lot of problems to be solved. But I really believe that, like having this alternative, this decentralized alternative, you know, where no one entity is is uh, you know able to cause this kind of like economic devastation, is uh, is really important, and that's why I'm uh, you know continue to focus all of my energy on. Uh, and making this alternative financial system accessible to everybody. Yeah. So, you, so you've clearly found your your personal why, and then now mm-hmm. you were introduced to uh, Bitcoin.com. How did I guess kind of how did that you know transition take place? Where you said, okay, I've got I've got a passion, and now I'm going to you know join a, a company centrally focused on my passion. And then two, I guess yeah. If uh, I guess we'll go into a little bit on on Bitcoin.com and, and kind of the mission to really help. The broader audience, you know, understand and have access to to, to crypto. Yeah, um, there is a lot of uh, there's two things I think that you know I need to do uh, to be you know successful, uh, and that's I need to there's work to be done, and so I need to do like the nine to five, like the work that needs to be done uh, for the job, and then there's also time to think and uh, educate myself about um, you know what comes next. So. It's, it's important to strike a balance between those two, uh, to have enough time to think, uh, to do enough research and, and, and pursue enough like educational or learning opportunities, you know, to, to be able to grow uh, in the margins of like, you know, doing the important work that, that needs to be done every day. And what I found, you know, uh, over the last several years is that like one of the biggest challenges, you know, for introducing people to uh, this world is that they may know that it exists, um, but they may largely find it like uh, completely uh, inaccessible to them for a variety of different reasons. Um, it's very like the early internet jargon heavy uh, seems to be for you know uh, nerds you know only. Uh, even though that's not the case, um, there is this perception that uh, persists out there. Um, and then there's the physical accessibility of it of like turning your dollars uh, into Bitcoin, um, which can be a challenge for. Uh, people, especially underbanked uh, people around the world that don't have access to a lot of the tools that like you would normally use to buy Bitcoin uh, or buy crypto, uh, for example. So um, spending a lot of time thinking about these problems, not just me, but like the whole team has uh, really had the opportunity to think of like creative ways to you know, to uh, bridge these gaps, right? To help people understand uh, crypto in terms that they can relate to and to help, you know, build the rails, you know, that get them from point A to point B uh, along this journey. Yeah. And I noticed you guys, um, you can, you can send from, from any app to anyone. How does that, how does that work? Because I, you know, I'm relatively new to the space and I had this probably similar, you know, process that everyone else has. Like, I don't understand it. It's probably too complicated. Uh, 
okay, I, I can look at setting up a wallet a couple, nah, that's too complicated. It's all going to get lost. And then finally you get through that process and you're like, then you look back and you're like, it wasn't as scary as you remember it being. I mean, it wasn't as scary. It wasn't as, you don't remember it being as scary as you thought at the time, right? And then you, um, yeah. and then you kind of go through the process of like, this is it, this is the future. And then you start thinking, well, you know, day-to-day life, just for, most, for the majority of people, it takes back over and you're like, got you make some decisions where you think, wait, you know, ideally I want this to replace X, Y, Z. And now it's like, well, it might replace part of X, you know? And so then it's a, you know, some, you know, kind of decide, I don't, I got there, but now it wasn't as exciting as I thought it could be. Or, oh, I just don't like this nagging risk, you know, perceived or real in the back of my my mind. And others, um, you know, keep going further and further and further. But what do you think are the biggest issues that will, you know, kind of make people not worry? You know, even though it's very, it's, it's completely logical to understand. Wait, this is more. This is more secure. This is more easy to understand. You know where it is and 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 that it's mine and what I can do with it. But what do we need to do to get people to? Um, you know, obviously setting up your initial you know wallet is 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 one part. But you know, where do, where are we? Do you think in the um, in getting that kind of like a comfort level for for the general population? Uh, yeah, still early, I think, as an industry, um, because I think a lot of people are still um, a bit nervous uh, about the whole um, promise of crypto uh, because of the volatility of markets. So I think that um, there's th- there's three things that like uh, I think about a lot. One is um, something that nobody thinks about uh, outside of crypto, which is uh, who's custodian or who has uh, ownership of the funds? Is it really uh, you? If your money's in a bank, your bank is holding on to your dollars. Uh, and um, your bank uh, you know, can decide whether or not you're able to spend them or send them or how much it's going to cost for you to do a wire transfer or you know, withdrawal. And like a lot of people have gotten into this habit of just um, not even thinking about this. Uh, if they have direct deposit from their paycheck, it goes to their bank. You know, they just deal with their debit card or their credit card on a regular basis and aren't aware of like, um, you know, the fact that there is a way to own your money that is maybe a little bit more traditional uh, in the sense that like uh, you can have complete, you know, custodianship of it. Like you can have total ownership of it where nobody, you know, can charge you fees to hold it uh, or nobody can charge you fees to transact with it. Uh, nobody can deny you uh, the right to transact it with anybody. So nobody thinks about this. Uh, but is it basically endemic to crypto, uh, to Bitcoin, uh, this idea of uh, self-custody or self-ownership of funds? So we spend a lot of time thinking about like how to make this as transparent or seamless you know, to people um, as a bank account, uh, because we know that like most people don't want the extra burden of having to, to think about this. Um, but it's part of like what makes um, crypto uh, an amazing, you know, alternative financial system. The other things that like we think about a lot are, you know, what does the person, uh, the end user or the you know consumer, you know, want to do, right? What is their goal? Are they looking to make an investment? If that's the case, then there is a, um, uh, a role for crypto in like a responsible investment portfolio, right? Uh, where you know you have. Uh, um, moderated or mitigated, you know, the, the volatility uh, associated with crypto and uh, you're not, you know, acting irresponsibly. And, you know, we, we curate a lot of offerings, you know, for our users in that regard so that we try to present them um, with uh, the, the, the best uh, of what the cryptocurrency uh, industry offers. And, um, 
if they want to explore like some of the wilder, riskier, you know, DeFi, uh, DGen aspects of it, they're welcome to do so. But um, we want to put like, um, you know, some more stable, um, responsible things in front of them uh, if they're interested in crypto as an investment. If they are looking for ways to send money, um, maybe um, by remittance or spend money uh, with merchants, merchants, uh, then we also spend a lot of time on that. And um, one of the greatest things about like um, putting this all together, the simplicity of the self-custodial aspect of it, uh, the the ease of access, and and uh, is that uh, when you have it all in your app and it's sitting uh, in your um, private key uh, on the blockchain. You can send it instantly to anybody in the world, and uh, just becomes a you know an app building you know problem to be solved to make that uh, as seamless and um, as easy as possible. And then once you do that, um, people you know can explore like a, a growing ecosystem of merchants. You know they can spend their crypto online or in person, um, or you know they can uh, you know use it to send money across borders like painlessly and easily. Yeah, that's funny the responsibility and like the. Um you know, everyone wants like sole responsibility until they get it, right? And then it's like, but then it's kind of like, oh, this is a little. I didn't realize like, you know, these things that I I don't understand why, why there's a fee or, or I don't understand why I can't have full control. And then you get full control, and there's a, a you know, there's a moment of panic for some of like, wait, so this is, it's on me now. You know, if I, I mean, it like it, I always, the majority of hacks, at least on like say NFTs, for example, m- most of the time it's someone. Clicked. They had to take the action of clicking a link that they shouldn't have clicked. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's smart, creative people creating links that are disguised or 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 seem very similar to something they're used to. But it's still a weird. You even see like then, um, you know, on OpenSea, right? So you see someone saying, "Hey, I, I got, I got hacked. OpenSea, can you can you fix this?" When when, but it might be the same person who a day before was saying like, "No, I want you know." Here I'm doing this because I don't want any help, and so I always think that's it's a strange thing to kind of you know wrap your head around. Is like then there's some people that are sympathetic, and some people are like, dude, you clicked, you clicked this. This is part of this is part of the deal. So I think anything that can, I think teach people about why they would want that uh, self control, but also like what you guys are doing, things that will then present it in a way that doesn't feel like there's uh, you know can kind of ease the the pressure. Of that, I think is um, is definitely interesting. Do you see like what's the, what timeline do you see for you know for more and more merchants and being able to use use Bitcoin for more you know day to day transactions? Like what kind of like timeline and, and and like how steep will that growth be, or will it just be slow and steady over over a long time? Or do you think there's a there's a point in time coming? Where it'll dramatically increase. Yeah, what we see uh, from the data is that with small and medium-sized businesses, um, definitely um, mom and pop uh, businesses, is we see just slow, steady, linear growth. And then there are tens of thousands of merchants, you know, worldwide, from cafes to electronic shops to you know travel agencies, you know, that uh, you know accept crypto uh, as a payment method. And um, that's because the proprietors of these businesses, you know, are also crypto users and they, they want to. And I think that we'll continue to see that like slow and steady growth in that space until we have like a first, you know, multinational or major retailer type businesses uh, until the first one of them uh, decides that they're going to make, you know, crypto a payment option um, at um, 10,000 supermarket checkouts in the U S or, you know, every big box electronics retailer in Asia or something like that. And then, 
we're waiting for like I think the the biggest uh, of these merchants to to take that first leap. Once the first one does, everyone else will follow, uh, and it, it will very quickly, um, you know, be a, a payment method that is common to use uh, everywhere. Yeah. So I think that uh, that's probably the path that I see that we're on right now. Yeah. Now this is even from a merchant perspective. I mean, even as a you know running a small team over here, we'll get we'll, we'll get some contracts and they'll be like, I want to, I want to be paid in ETH, and it's like okay, um, great, and they're like. But then we, you know, oh, price of ETH has dropped. So I would now, I'd like to be paid, you know, more ETH. Or it's like, okay, but then when it goes up, would you like to be paid less? No. So I think it's an, it's a really interesting, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a really exciting opportunity, right, for the best organizations to figure out, you know, we're going to take crypto for payment. And then there's a whole, you know, they need a whole other team now to figure out, okay, when do we, you know, how much do we sell right away? How much, you know, if we think it's a... Uh, you know, it's going to go up, and there's there's so many variables that uh, that I think are probably so exciting and also so 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 intimidating to, uh, to companies. But it's a fascinating um, it's a fascinating thing there. How, where where are you on the? Are you you know? Hey, I love all crypto. Or are you kind of in that Bitcoin versus ETH? You know, can they like? I don't. I never quite understood why because I, I haven't gotten that far into it. Of like, why why is there this thought that like pits one against the other. Why aren't they, you know, why aren't they just kind of like such an early stage? I, I'm definitely uh, in the camp of uh, use what's most useful to you. And then there is a plethora of like, um, you know, uh, use cases in crypto out there for like uh, everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm definitely like a, a multi-coin uh, proponent. And I think that the, the future uh, is multi-coin and like a there may, maybe there's going to be a thousand or maybe there's going to be a hundred or maybe there's going to be 10 of them, but like uh, there's enough, uh, variation or you know differentiation and like how to use crypto to support like a, a, a bunch of different uh, uh, coins. Uh, other people like um, especially like they they refer to themselves as Bitcoin uh, maxis. They think that uh, Bitcoin is the one true coin and that everything else is a scam and that you know if you're not using Bitcoin you're getting scammed. And I just don't think that doesn't really hold water for me. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah. So two two last questions. Um, one, you've got the uh, the verse uh, coin with uh, tokens with the you know with rewards and utility. If you want to talk a little bit on that, and then yeah, we got definitely. our final our final bonus question right at the end. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, so uh, Bitcoin.com is launching a token uh, soon. Uh, it's called Verse, and uh, it is a rewards uh, token uh, for uh, Bitcoin.com users. And part of our um, thinking on uh, offering this token is is that. When it comes to making cryptocurrency tools and products like accessible uh, and easy to use and fun, you know, for everybody, uh, that there is a, a loyalty component to that, uh, you know, that we want to reward our, our users with, and that is um, can take the form of uh, like a cash or quote unquote crypto, crypto back uh, rewards, like if you use the Bitcoin.com uh, branded uh, debit card. Or like um, getting uh, reduced, you know, fees like for purchasing Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, you know, from dollars or euros or yen, um, or uh, you know, using it as a way to um, uh, invest uh, your crypto through the decentralized uh, finance or DeFi tools at Bitcoin.com. So, I think a lot of people um, are thinking about how to, you know, uh, implement loyalty rewards uh, and um, utility uh, in the form of a token uh, in the cryptocurrency space. And it seems to be like a very um, important thing to building community and uh, making customers, you know, happy and making the whole thing, you know, more accessible and fun uh, for them to use. So that's the Burst project, and, and I'm excited to um, 
to share that that will be launching uh, later this year. And uh, we'll, that'll be available to, to uh, everybody worldwide after the initial launch. So, yeah, we want to make crypto fun and rewarding and exciting for people to use. Awesome. Well, that'll be exciting. Okay, so the bonus question. We, um, you know, especially in kind of a, kind of a cutting edge field, um, you know, a product basically, you know, built on independence. You know, one thing that's always happened is you've, as a CEO, you know, there's, you've got a team and the team is focused on the mission, but the team naturally, and nowadays, especially, it seems like everyone's got a side project. Everyone's got an angle they're working on. How do you balance culturally, like, you know, that, right? As far as like, Look, I understand you guys probably have side projects. I understand you guys are probably working on things, but I still want to feel that you're committed to the cause and 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 that I can count on you and I can plan around you being here in the future. Like, how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, we support side projects uh, at Bitcoin.com. Like, um, some of our team members, you know, pursue their own you know private uh, passion projects. And like the most successful, you know, examples are where like uh, they're pretty much in alignment with the overall mission uh, to begin with, right? Somebody wants to uh, to build an NFT uh, project, um, but um, the company's not uh, doing an NFT project, uh, you know, and it's largely in line, you know, with uh, making crypto, you know, more accessible and easy and fun for everybody. Go for it, right? We think that that's an amazing thing to do. Um, I think that. Uh, I want my hope is is that everybody at Bitcoin.com is, you know, mission first, right? Like uh, in their professional pursuits, that they're there for the reason of, uh, you know, making a difference in the world um, in the way that like uh, we think is super important, which is you know making this alternative financial system accessible you know, to everyday people. Um, so there's big role for side projects uh, in that uh, pursuit of that mission, and uh, we wholeheartedly support that. And how do you uh, with that same thing in mind? What and what advice would you give your team or, or future kind of younger uh, people entering the workforce about, you know, patience? You know, because because everyone wants everything right away, and they, they go work for a company for a week, and they decide I could do this, and I've got some a similar idea. Like, how do you encourage their enthusiasm, but also like impart a little patience on them and, and give them that perspective? Yeah, I mean, if you want to go fast, you go alone. And if you want to go far, you go together, right? And uh, I think that um, helping people understand that, like, uh, you know, if you're a talented programmer or marketer or designer, uh, you can do a lot. Like, you can get to, you know, a prototype or like a, a base case, you know, business idea, you know, fairly quickly. But at that point, you're going to need a team of people, like uh, like-minded people, talented people, just like you are, in order to take it to the next level. So, it's really hard uh, to build uh, amazing teams. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. There's a lot of heartache, and uh, you know, big wins and, and um, you know, big frustrations involved. So, if that's the route that you want to take, um, you're an entrepreneur. You know, you should go for it. Right, build that business. Um, if you, uh, think that like you have more to contribute or you want to, you know, be part of a team that, you know, you think is going to go far, uh, together, you know, stick around, like, uh, you know, you lean on your team members, um, you know, lean on their expertise and their different perspectives and, uh, you know, see how far you can go together. Yeah. No. Oh, awesome. I think that's definitely a good, a good message. And it's, it's, um, I think it's one of those things that you see so many people see the opportunity. And then, you know, you got to get out there and try and then and then come back. And I think it's just fascinating watching this balance of like, you know, hey, what's what's something that you should 
you know, be dabbling in versus something you should be doing. And, and, and Hey, keep your eye on the, on the main goal while you, while you work on these side goals. It's like, it's just, it's the, it's the area that I'm like super, super fascinated in. And so I think that's a, that was a great, great perspective to hear. But Hey, I really appreciate you, um, you coming on. Um, I learned a lot, enjoyed our conversation and, uh, where can people find you, uh, find out more about the company yeah, Nick, uh, it was a pleasure to join the uh, join you in the podcast today uh, and an honor. Thank you. Um, please come check us out at, at Bitcoin.com. Um, follow me on Twitter if you want more at, uh, at OG Crypto Skier. Um, but definitely uh, Bitcoin.com is the easy one to, uh, to remember. So. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, if you can, you know, review, rate, subscribe, pass the podcast on to friends and definitely appreciate you listening. And we'll be back next week.